my fellow Americans, we have endured a week such as no nation should live through. In 1968, commissioned by President Lyndon Johnson, the Kerner Report's purpose was to uncover the cause of the 1967 riots that occurred throughout the country's urban areas. I am tonight appointing a special advisory commission on civil disorders. Governor Otto Kerner of Illinois has agreed to serve. The report uncovered that the upheaval was caused by systemic racism in areas like the justice system, policing, housing, voter suppression, and unemployment. The report recommended several aggressive policy changes to address these issues. However, the majority of white America disagreed with the report's findings, and later the recommendations were never followed. Let us pray and let us work for better jobs, better housing, and better education. So many millions of our own fellow Americans need so much tonight. In 2020, the words of 1968's Kerner Report still rings true today, especially right here in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Wisconsin is the first city in the country to declare racism a public health crisis. And they're asking others- Last year, Milwaukee made national news. It took an official stance, made an official statement, owning up to the racism in the city. And for the first time, we called it a public health crisis. Good afternoon, Milwaukee County. It is honored to join you today. Fast forward to the present, little more than a year later, Milwaukee's newly elected county executive, David Crowley, is announcing his plans to take action on that proclamation. The truth is we face two pandemics, COVID-19 and racism. And we need to change the way we serve the people of Milwaukee County to combat them both. Today, I make a commitment to you, the people of Milwaukee County, to dedicate the work of my administration to addressing these inequities. Racism and the consequences of it cast a menacing shadow over the lived experiences of Milwaukee's residents of color. From wealth, employment, housing, every quality of life metric we lag behind. So how did we get here? And how do we fix it? I'm Tariq Moody, and this is By Every Measure. In 88.9's new podcast, we're going to examine systemic racism in Milwaukee, we're going to look at the data that continues to prop up each of these disparities from the wealth gap to police violence. And we're going to hear people in the community who are working toward a more equitable society for our residents of color by every measure. Joining us on the podcast is a brilliant Milwaukee mind, a man by the name of Reggie Jackson. He's a research journalist, data expert, educator and business owner. As a journalist, he has written dozens of data-driven articles for the publication Milwaukee Independent. Reggie has also served as a race relations expert for CNN, Wisconsin Public Radio, NPR, Reuters News Service, the BBC, and several statewide news channels. Let's start. Our conversation starts with a recent article of his that sets the tone for the rest of this podcast. So Reggie, uh, I was uh, reading your um lot of your pieces over the last few weeks and the one that stood out to me which kind of fits what we're trying to do with this podcast is the one called systemic racism 101 dear america i can't believe what you say because i see what you do which is kind of interesting i, I posted something about COVID 19 and new york times posted the whole data uh, how COVID 19 exposes racial inequities and then uh, apparently uh, I have some high school buddies from back in the day. I went to a white high school. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of a sudden, I, we don't really interact on Facebook at all. Uh, and, and he 
comes on his on my feed and posts, oh, now COVID-19 is racist now. Mm. Uh, so can you explain for people like him, what is racism and what is systemic or institutionalized racism? What is the difference? Well, to re- generally, uh, the average American, particularly white people, assume that racism is just individual acts of bigotry and discrimination. That's how they define racism. They don't think this is any system in place that perpetuates uh, inequalities. So when they think of racism, they think that if I'm not a racist, then everything is all good. If there isn't some bad apple out there, then everything is fine. Uh, But systemic racism, you know, people use terms systemic, institutional, structural racism. They all pretty much mean the same things. And that means that systems of inequality are built into our society. That any institution that you look at, you can see the impact of uh, that racism. Systemic racism is so pervasive and so well known and accepted in our society that you can predict someone's life experiences just based off of race. If tomorrow morning a little black boy is born somewhere in America, you can already predict how long he'll live and you know that he's going to live probably a much shorter life than a white person who's born at the exact same time. Uh, Another way of looking at it is you can predict that a black child who is in, uh, say, K3, who is a toddler, you can predict the probability of him spending time in prison. Those things are systemic. When racism uh, is systemic, it actually allows you to be able to predict the person's future. It, It means that race is an indicator. You can use race as an indicator of what a person's lived experience will be. And when we look at all of the institutions in our country, whether that be our educational system, our criminal justice system, our healthcare system, you see huge differences, huge inequalities that people of color you know, suffer, whether that be black people, Native Americans, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, those things are in place and there is absolutely uh, copious amounts of evidence of that. Despite all the evidence of systemic racism, many skeptics will point the finger at black and brown communities. People choose to ignore it and say that, well, those things are based on their behaviors. You know, the reason that so many black people are in prison is because, well, they're committing so many more crimes than white people are. And the reason that their health is as poor as it is is because, well, they keep eating food that's bad for them. And they ignore the fact that in our communities that we have much more contact with the police than white people have, not because we're criminals, just because we're black. Uh, They ignore the fact that environmental racism is very real, that people of color are much more likely to live in a community where pollution is is there and very prevalent uh, in the soil, in the water, things of that nature. When you look at Flint, Michigan, Flint, Michigan is a perfect example, a city whose population is 50% black, And we all know about the water crisis there with the lead in the water. But we forget that Milwaukee has a very similar lead crisis. And these are things that are predictors of people's lived experiences. That's what systemic racism is. It's it's hard for people to understand, though, because they don't know the history well enough. They haven't been taught the history of why these things exist. They have been taught to believe that, well, you know, if I'm not a member of the Ku Klux Klan or if I'm not saying the N-word, things of that nature, then obviously, you know, I'm not a racist, therefore racism doesn't exist. 
one of Reggie's favorite sociologists, Joe Fagan, defines systemic racism the best. He actually wrote a book about it, and his definition says that this white-generated and white-maintained oppression is far more than a matter of individual bigotry, for it has been from the beginning a material, social, and ideological reality. For a long period now, white oppression of Americans of color has been systemic. That is, it has been manifested in all major societal institutions. And that's every institution. That's the criminal justice system, the wealth gap, education, and even healthcare. All systems we'll cover over the next five episodes. And to truly understand systemic racism now, we must really examine the history and the roots of it in our society and what role it played in the oppression of an entire people. Let's go back and dive deep into the history of where it all began. We've all been cheated in our history classes. Every American has. There's not a single one of us that learned the true history of America in our history classes. We talk about all of the wonderful things that the nation stands for and we leave out almost all of the ugly things. And even when we talk about the ugly things like slavery, we talk about it in two or three paragraphs in our history books. So when I talk to people, I try to give them a history lesson. I try to provide historical context. I show them how the systems have worked, how the institutions have embedded within them principles that lead us to these things. And I, I, I like to talk about Jim Crow in particular. So Jim Crow laws were basically state and local laws that enforced racial segregation in southern United States, which were began in the late 19 and early 20th centuries and were enforced until 1965. When people think of Jim Crow, they think of those ugly signs in Mississippi and Alabama that said whites only, coloreds only, whatever, right? But that's not what Jim Crow was. Jim Crow was much bigger than that. The signs were a manifestation of what Jim Crow was. But Jim Crow, when you think about it in this way, these were laws, Tariq. These were actually laws, right? Jim Crow laws. So what it meant was that you, you literally... If you didn't discriminate against black people, you were breaking the law. So Jim Crow is a perfect example of, of how this systemic racism works, that it's embedded within the institutions. And when you study the history of African-Americans, when you look at our history from, from the time the Civil War ended in 1865 until 1955, when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat, and started the Montgomery bus boycott, that is the part of our history that is the least known by all Americans, particularly white people. They just assumed that, you know, slavery ended and everything was all good. And then for some reason, you know, black people were protesting Jim Crow segregation. They forget all of the things in between those 90 years of ugliness that occurred. 90 years of ugliness, he says. That's, that's basically a person's whole lifetime, multiple generations, and those 90 years were more than just ugly. It was a total nightmare. It was basically domestic terrorism. That mobs of white people uh, murdered black people in lynchings. Thousands of people were lynched. They ignored the fact that there were race riots led by whites that went into black communities and destroyed black communities all over the country and no one was held accountable. They forget all of those things because they never learned them. So how are you going to talk about this systemic racism without knowing those things. I always say that we have a lot of conversations about race and racism, but they're very rarely productive because people don't know enough. 
And unless you know those things, you'll never have a productive conversation with that individual. And so many people choose to do that. They choose to ignore all of that history. In the article, Systemic Racism 101, Dear America, I can't believe what you said because I see what you do. Reggie breaks privilege into three main categories. What he calls psychic reward, societal privilege, and economic privilege. Coming up, Reggie and I will dive deeper into each of these principles. Radio Milwaukee is on a mission. And if you're here to discover new perspectives on music in Milwaukee, then you're on a mission too. Join today to support the programming you love. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org and click the orange heart. All right, we're back on episode one of By Every Measure. On this episode, we're talking about systemic racism, a term that Reggie and I did not just make up. Yet even top government officials like Larry Kudlow. Larry, just wanted to follow up on, on something you told reporters last week. The White House National idea. Economic Council Director denied it recently back in June. Here's what he said when he was asked about it on TV. Well, I don't believe in systemic racism. I, I think the American system is the best system ever devised for mankind for history. We are he even goes on to bring up Obama as a fact that we elected a black president. That means we are over racism as a country. And he got 79 million white votes, 79 million in two elections. Now, therefore, I find it hard to understand. Yeah, I mean, that's just like saying if you're a fan of Giannis of Milwaukee Bucks, you can't be a racist. Systemic racism has been examined by countless researchers and authors as well, including Shirley Better, who wrote a book called Institutional Racism, a primer on theory and strategies for social change. Reggie expands on Better's writing and zeroes in on three types of privilege. What's the interesting part here, like why does racism of this type endure? Better says there is profit and gain accrued by all in the dominant group through the maintenance of racism. The positive uses of racism are, this is where my question comes on, economic privilege, social privilege, and psychic reward. I want to talk about all three, but I want to start with psychic reward. I've never seen that before. What do you mean by psychic reward? Well, Miss Becker in her book, um, talking about, you know, oppression. This, this idea of psychic reward means that if you are in the oppressing group, you feel good about yourself. Uh, th this is, there's, there's this, this uh, idea, and it's called the Manichaean psychology. And what it is, is, is this principle that shows that if you look at an oppressive society, and whether the oppression is based on race and ethnicity, whether it's based on gender, whatever, it doesn't really make a difference. The, those who are doing the oppressing will always feel better about themselves than those that are being oppressed, right? So what happens is, as, as a white person in the United States of America, you can look in the mirror as a five-year-old child and you can see a future astronaut. You can see a future president of the United States of America. When I was a five-year-old boy and I looked in the mirror, I couldn't see a future astronaut. 
I couldn't see a future president of the United States in the mirror because I knew that those things were just not even realistic for me as a five-year-old boy. So part of what happens when you are in an oppressive society and you are on the side that does the oppressing, you always feel good about yourself. There are always positive things you hear about your community. So when you talk about your schools, your schools are the good schools, right? Your community, oh, we live in the safe part of town. We live in a safe community, right? Uh, when you hear uh, about the people who are on the oppressing side, everything you hear about them is positive and rosy and makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. But when you're on that other side, when you're the oppressed, you never hear anything good about yourselves. You hear about how dirty your neighborhood is. You hear about how you don't value education. You hear about how lazy you are. That's what she's talking about, how you will always, if you are in the oppressive side, doing the oppressing, you will always feel better about yourself. And I guarantee if you went out and you asked 10,000 white people this question, if you could choose tomorrow to wake up as a black person or a white person, which would you choose? Would you wake up as a black person or a white person? I guarantee you, almost all of them, 99.9% .9 would want to wake up as a white person. But then that small percentage that want to wake up as a black person, they don't want to wake up as a normal black person. They want to wake up as LeBron James, right? They want to wake up as Oprah Winfrey. They don't want to wake up as, as some, you know, Joe Smith who lives on third and center street. They don't want to wake up being that black person because they know it's better to be white than to be black in this country. They know it. So that's psychic reward, a term that was even new to me. He continues with two more types of privilege, economic and social. Let's get into social. Well, social privilege means that you have a society which values your community and puts things in place that will provide the greatest level of comfort for your community. So you have a society that will have an educational system that will always talk about you in glowing terms. You know, we talk about, you know, people are upset about, you know, the monuments coming down and people criticizing, you know, Woodrow Wilson and, and things of this nature. Listen, this societal privilege, this, this privilege, this social privilege that she's talking about is that you have uh, control over the institutions within a society, which will create uh, a mindset that leads to you having advantages over people of color. That's really what it's about. You have built-in advantages by being born a white person. Uh, because guess what? When you look at the institutions in our country, they are all run by white people, particularly white men. That means you have more opportunity to climb the corporate ladder. And that probably explains why there's only four black CEOs running a Fortune 500 company. That's 500 companies. Out of 500 companies, there's only four black CEOs. And guess what? They're all men, so that means there are no black women. When you look at our educational systems, uh, when you look at um, our elected officials, when you look at our district attorneys, they're almost, most of them are white. 95% of district attorneys in the country are white. When you look at a majority of the cities and towns around there, the, the country, they are run by white people, even if a majority of the people in that community are not white. So what it really means is that you have these privileges uh, to, to make a society that will always make you feel comfortable. So that's kind of like me growing up as a youth. I live in the suburbs and throughout my youth, whether it's sports or even my high school, where out of 450 students, there were only eight blacks. 
And most of the time, I rarely saw them in my classes. And a lot of times, classes like my AP history or chemistry, I was the only one. That kind of made me uncomfortable. Sometimes gave me anxiety, make me what, what they were thinking when they were looking at me. Were they thinking, how did he get in his class? He's black. He can't be smart enough to be in his class. It always made me feel uncomfortable. Being comfortable is easy. You don't have to worry about being uncomfortable in your skin. Uh, you don't have to worry about things related to your level of comfort uh, in a society when that type of uh, systemic racism exists. The funny thing, I don't even want to call it funny thing, is like, even when I drive to Bayview or, or Whitefish Bay to see a movie or go to the Coles or whatever, I'm not like nervous, but I'm more conscious of what I'm doing there, right? Because I might look and like, there's, I'm the only one here right now. So I'm not like, I'm not afraid or anything, but I, I'm, more, I'm more conscious and thinking about my actions in those areas. And if I'm like, and even, I don't do it anymore, even when I see a white woman walking down the street, I kind of look up, I kind of have my hands, like it's an unconscious behavior that I, 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 I hate about myself, right? Like I shouldn't have to do that, but that's still part of my, because I experienced as a kid, a white, I was like lost. My dad was doing something. I was young. I was trying to find where he was again. And I, this white woman said, excuse me. And the white woman grabbed the purse and literally ran. <laughs> and I was wearing like, I didn't look, I, my dad dressed me. So I looked like a, a dork. So I'm like, <laughs> I had like these tight socks, a little polo shirt. And she ran and that stuck with me. Right. So I, I, I guess I see it. I feel it. And it's just like, I don't know. There's a, into this and that comes from the next one which the one I care more about um, personally and professionally is the economic privilege so talk to me about the economic privilege when it regards to systemic racism yeah the economic privilege goes to explain what you just talked about you can't comfortably go to those places and, and say rent a house right or rent an apartment or buy a home you can't go to those places and feel comfortable to read I've experienced very similar things. And I, just as you explained, this idea that I have to make white people feel safe, I have to, you know, put my eyes down when I'm walking past a group of white people so that they're not afraid of me. Even though I'm dressed in a three-piece suit, I have to do that to me. I, I used to do it too. Until I noticed I was doing it, I refused to do it. Now I'm like, listen, if you're uncomfortable, that's on you. It has nothing to do with me. But ultimately, there is no reason that we as a society should have different outcomes based on the color of our skin when it comes to the economics. But it's a fact of the matter. It is a fact of life, documented, and yet people still deny it. And that's why Reggie doesn't bother trying to convince anyone of anything. Instead, he speaks to people in the middle who want to be better, and he boils systemic racism down to three simple little words i said y'all got the straight hookup as white people the hookup you have gotten the hookup year after year decade after decade you have been hooked up uh financially even though many of you are struggling i know it's some white people out there like i grew up poor i didn't have this listen i get it i get it american society is built to have poor people it's just the way our society works but there are way more white people that have economic advantages because they're white 
than there are people of color. And they always want to talk about, well, you know, what about some of these black people like Barack Obama? And, you know, they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. Listen, black people didn't have any boots. So don't tell us about our bootstraps. White people, you know, they pull. The immigrants came over and pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. Well, guess what? When we came over on those slave ships, they didn't give us no boots. They didn't give us boots after slavery ended. We didn't have any bootstraps to, to, to pull up. And so we are constantly fighting. And there's a saying in our community, and all of the data provides you know, proof of this. We are the last hired and first fired. When economic times are good, you know, we can get a job. But when things go sour like they are now, look at the unemployment rate in the black community versus the white community right now. It's at least double. And in some communities, triple and quadruple the white unemployment rate. Is that because black people all of a sudden decided that they didn't want to work anymore? No, it's because the job they have says, man, I got to lay you off, Reggie. Uh, what about what about uh, Bob? Oh, yeah, Bob is going to keep his job. Bob has been here, you know, two days longer than you, Reggie. What? So, you know, those are the types of things that we understand. But white people refuse to acknowledge those things. They just think they have what they have because they worked harder than us and that they're not lazy like we are. Uh, we're not lazy. We worked harder than white people have ever worked in this country. And they don't want to give us credit for that. Degree. So that's where we're at today. Systemic racism. As you can see, it goes a lot deeper than most people think. It's more than simply saying the N-word over and over. It's more than a single police stop gone bad. It is policies. It's that hookup that allowed white people to have advantages for years, decades, over generations to enjoy the promise of America. Over the next five episodes of By Every Measure, we're gonna break down systemic racism in areas of health, education, the wealth gap, housing, and on our next episode, policing. When white people think about police, they think about their lived experiences with police, which are generally very pleasant. When black people think about the police, we know that our lived experiences have not been the same. In the meantime, if you want to learn more, check out our resource page at radiomilwaukee.org measure. We linked up the stories we reference, plus the book by Shirley Better and other recommended reading. By Every Measure is hosted by Tariq Moody and Reggie Jackson. Executive produced and edited by Nate Immig, with additional production support from 88.9 Program Director Jordan Lee, Marketing Director Sarah McClanahan, Marketing Coordinator Aaron Bagata, Web Editor Evan Rentleski, Audio Producer Salam Fatayer, Executive Director Kevin Suker, Content Marketing Manager Amalinda Burrich, Community Engagement Manager Maddie Reardon, and Imaging Manager Kenny Perez. Handcrafted sonic inspiration from the License Lab, and our sincerest thanks to our members for making all Radio Milwaukee content possible. By Every Measure, an original podcast production of 88.9 Radio Milwaukee.